Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. You just tuned into Stone Raccoons to learn all about the catch and the ride by J.G. Salinger. I'm Slaymon, and this is my boy, Mickey. Nothing much for the except for the hardcore enthusiasm that we are about to implant in all of your souls. Get ready for a book that readily deserves my 9 out of 10 rating. You're about to find your favorite book that you'll be reading this summer. Welcome to New York, served up 1950s style. We got pimps, hoes, ex-girlfriends, more than a handful of dumb blondes, depressed high schoolers, butthurt taxi drivers, and some children that just don't know any better. Additionally, how the main character thinks and acts imitates real life so closely that he wouldn't be surprised if this was, in fact, a true story. In all honesty, it probably is reality for some people. The lessons and impact of Kadri in the Rye has survived to this day. And these kinds of lessons aren't phony or over-exaggerated at all. They actually add value to a person's life. Can you believe it? Let's visit our protagonist, Holden Caulfield, a 16-year-old boy that has been kicked out of many, and I mean many, schools. This time is many different, but it still manages to be unique. After being kicked out of Pensy, a school in Pennsylvania, he is thrust into a journey that takes place over the course of a couple of days in the virgin cold of December. He goes back to... He goes back home to New York where he tries to come to terms with the phoniness of the world around. You know, like how everything seems transparent and has no weight. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. He can put his past like a plague, and he has to live through it over and over again, as familiar characters start to introduce themselves. In the end, he is left emotionally tattered and has to come to terms that the only relief he gets is the small victories that have no guarantee of occurring. He is scared and strong, scared and confused. Old and young. He's a walking contradiction. Nice summary, bro. Let's take it back a second, Mickey, and talk about why the author created the story and how he knew all the things that he did that allowed him to understand the mind of Holden. Jerome David Salinger was born at the tail end of 1919 and experienced issues with his identity for all his life. His father was Jewish, but his mother kept the fact that she wasn't Jewish descent for his entire childhood. I see. Think about it. I know. It goes further, though. He suffered from more than just religious issues, though. His father was wealthy. He gained his wealth like any other rich man today, through the export of ham and cheese. Add some pickles on a second one, and if you're planning to make one right now. Anyway, Salinger was a problem child in schools. He never applied himself. His father kept putting him in new schools, but nothing stuck. Salinger finally found a mentor that inspired him to pursue and develop his passion as a writer. He wrote short stories that gained a lot of traction and a sizable following. Like many other young men in his time, he took up arms to fight in World War II. You know, the second one. He continued to write even as he participated in D-Day and lighted on Utah Beach. Each passing day, he grew more and more inspired to speak his story, which was a, which he learned was a common experience from a lot of people that he grew up with. He compiled his writings and created the Holden, a caricature of his experience. He combined all his knowledge and writings, created a marvelous and dynamic story that allows for so much insight into the human condition Speaking of struggling, I am struggling to know how Salinger's style was so inspired yet so unique. Skipping forward in time, let's focus on his writing again. He wrote his magnum opus in a very uh, distinct manner that makes it very unique. He followed the line of consciousness model. Thanks for reminding me. A line of consciousness model occurs when a, 
author depicts the multitudinous thoughts and feelings which pass through the mind of a narrator. In this case, Holden. The bulk of the story, about 90%, is composed of Holden's thoughts. Think about that. I'm definitely thinking about it. I know. Now I'm thinking about it, too. Anyways, for Holden, he constantly thinks about everything and anything. Another important feature to take note of is that these thoughts are meant to imitate thoughts that happen in reality. I know. Groundbreaking. This is the perfect literature of Shakespeare or any of that crap. The exact opposite, actually. He doesn't really repeat words. He repeats his thoughts two to three times in a couple of sentences. The weirdest part is, is that it never gets old. Yeah. This pattern continues throughout the entire book and pulls the reader's attention to the point of full immersion in the text. I lost track of time reading this book. I even need some time after it that to realize that I wasn't cold in Caulfield. Me too. Going back to the topic of repeated words, Holden and plenty of other characters swear a fair bit. Understatement, actually, they swear until the vocal cords fall out. And the vocal cord swears until Siegel swallowed. And the Siegel starts swearing until it drops in. Family, the bacteria eating it will be swearing until their population has been wiped out. You'd be hard pressed to try to find a single goddamn conversation in this book where somebody isn't swearing or thinking about the words corny or phony. Actually, I'll, I'll check. Give me a second. Anyways, the line of consciousness model isn't the only thing that makes his story original. His dialogue is out of this world with its authenticity and relatability. Nuances are what really makes it for readers. People tend to repeat certain words or lines, emphasize certain phrases, interrupt at inconvenient times, repeat certain words or lines, not pay attention, misdirect their focus, and repeat certain words and lines. It is a pain in the ass experience in the real world, and in the novel it has a whole other dimension of reality and an intricate taste to each character. I totally agree. Here's a quote that I believe really gives props to the author's style. Well, you know the ducks that swim around in it in the springtime and all? Do you happen to know where they go in the wintertime by any chance? Where who goes? The ducks. Do you know by any chance? I mean, does anybody come around in a truck or something and take them away? Or do they fly away by themselves, go south or something? Old Horwitz turned all the way around and looked at me. He was a very impatient type guy. He wasn't a bad guy, though. How the hell should I know? He said. How the hell should I know a stupid thing like that? Well, don't get sore about it, I said. He was sore about it or something. I'm Salinger 107. Any book that has the words, the ducks, do you know, is worth reading. Even the most subtle of things can add to an image in meaningful ways. Italicized parts of words can reveal emphasis. Certain types of thoughts can convey different speeds at the passing of time, etc. You know who a character is just by reading their speech after they talk for the first time. None of the characters are alike. I agree. Absolutely none. Phoebe, the little sister of Holden, is intelligent but still has all the love and curiosity of a child. Childlater is a classic douche that snows just about any girl he picks up on his radar, dead or alive. He is nicer than the average douche, though. There are many more examples, but none of them stay in the story for long. The story passes through characters as fast as the warm night passes through cheese or butter. Or as fast as Stradler goes through his girlfriend. None of them except Holden are really important to the plot on the individual level. Also, analyzing their characters would spoil too much of the plot. If you want to learn more about them, then please 
read the book. Although they aren't as important to Holden's development as Holden's own consciousness, they make the book amazing and provide moments of interest that you can't find in just any old novel. Get me? I do. Really. You have to read the book, even if it's only for the side characters. Now, let's get deep into the meat of the story. In the themes. There are two books to explain in a timely fashion. Other that are on center stage are loss, alienation, and identity. So let us not stall the boat. Rain the horses. Slow our cadence. Curb our analysis. Slacken our sports. Make long and unnecessary sentences. Or in PR pace, and just jump right into it. The author's novel really delves into the topic of loss. It manages to take a character and put a story behind him and his male kittens and rainbows and the pebble being the only kitten. Holden goes through cold, hard suffering throughout the entire book. My boy Ali, Holden's little brother, died from cancer when he was 11. Holden can't go over the pain that he feels for his little bro's death. He revisits his painful memories and they cause some hardcore fear and despair that he keeps on experiencing. This theme is one that establishes the fact that the novel is a parody of a Lugum's The coming of age story. Yes. The reason for it being a parody is that while the average Lugum's Roman is centered on growth and development of a character that leads to a positive outlook or outcome, Lugum's story ends with him understanding that everything kind of sucks. Can't really blame him for knowing that. Adding on this analysis, loss is usually a driving factor that pushes protagonists and characters to do great things in stories. And the catcher in the rye feels the frustration and anger that Holden has gained from his worldview. Throughout the book, Holden keeps on thinking about even talking to Allie. He does this whenever he is antsy or nervous. He feels like he can't talk to anyone else about how he experiences fear. This is obviously not helping him. I couldn't have said that any better. Actually, he tends to have more breakdowns the more he talks to Allie. He can't let go of the fact that somebody as innocent as Allie died. It can be inferred that he is having trouble believing that someone like himself gets to live, but Allie doesn't. Here's an exemplar passage from the book that relates to the theme of loss. Every time I get to the end of the block, I make myself believe I was talking to my brother, Allie. I say to him, Allie, don't let me disappear. Allie, don't let me disappear. Allie, don't let me disappear. Holden can be assumed to be someone that is completely lost in a world without a certain person he cares about. In this case, Ali. He hears on the edge of what it means to be a human, with the factor of loss playing such a huge role in that meaning. He never learned to formulate his thoughts into questions or any other helpful means in an effort to cope. It is like he is emotionally constipated. Grief is like a turd that slips out inch by inch and retracts back like a freaky groundhog and tape for infusion. Looking at another part of the quote, it is clear that Holden doesn't want to accept the world as it is, and he constantly plays with the idea of escaping the situation. It is clear that he doesn't want to be in control. He understands his own pain, but he believes that he can't do anything about it. And that is why he doesn't want to be in control. Because whenever he tries to, he fails miserably. He believes that he's naked and disappearing. He thinks that his loss makes him phony like the world around him. He holds on to the pain and uses it not to feel empty, instead of protecting him from becoming the world around him. He distorts his views to make him think that the world is only terrible, the few glimpses of pure people and events. He is so connected to his own pain that he isolates himself to the point of existing in his own world. 
yes, the line of consciousness model set up that feeling really well to top that off. We have all lost people in our lives. We can relate to Holden um, and how he's feeling, not only in a literary sense, but also in an emotional sense. When I lost my mother, I saw the world as more empty than it originally was. The series of events in the book illustrate this feeling of general frustration of aspects of the world that's before were great to interact with. I sometimes think about my mother whenever I'm alone for too long. It's obvious that Holden has been alone for too long as well. I've been lucky enough to only lose one person in my family, my grandpa. But even then, I, I was still feeling impacted. Still, I regret some things I could have said, but because I didn't lose someone extremely close to me, I was able to accept his passing, disease. Something that Holden struggles with in the book. Continue listening, listening to our witness Holden's struggle and finding a place where he belongs. Throughout the novel, Holden Caulfield is alienated from every other character in the book, whether it's his roommates, his friends, or even his own little sister. It seems that in one way or another, he is different from everyone he comes across and throughout this book. There's this disconnect between him and everyone else. The crucial aspect of Holden's character is that he is and feels absolutely alone. He might be interacting with other characters, but in his head, his world is alone. The entire book is partially based on the fact that his mental reality is different from almost everyone else's in the novel. He has an especially painful type of mentality as well. Knowing that, the book would cease to be the same if Holden was just your average kid from New York in the 1950s. It would fail to hold the same tension, with the same themes and style that invoke the same amount of interest. Everything else in the book hinges on the fact that he is different, and every other thing causes it or is caused by it. Examples of alienation are constant throughout the book. He's very different from the other characters introduced. He's locked out of school. He lies constantly for no reason. He'll invite people to hang out with them, and seconds later he'll be hitting them. He makes choices that most rational people probably wouldn't. So, throughout the entire book, he feels alone. He feels that he has nobody. On several occasions, he wants to talk to somebody, but once he goes to the phone, he thinks of all the reasons why he shouldn't and decides not to talk to anybody. Then, he turns it on himself, talks to people that are like, most likely to light a fuse. Let's get some stone-cold facts from the text and this analysis as well. People always clap for the wrong things. Challenger, 110. Holden notes that people always clap for the wrong things when he is listening to Ernie. Ernie is a musician that Holden described as amazing but corny and phony as hell. A show-off. He thinks that people can be good, even great at something, but once they are aware of their talent, they become show-offs, and it ruins the experience. Everyone in the club loves this musician, but Holden doesn't really think he's all what that they say he is. I kind of want to listen to this music to make my own decision. Anyway, uh, it feels like he's constantly getting the stream of opinions and views. He's so obviously that he gets angry whenever he has to directly listen to someone who he keeps basic for I'll leave an example. Again, we won't talk more about it as not to spoil the book. I think that at some point in everyone's lives, everyone feels isolated or different from the rest of the world. I know I've certainly felt like that from time to time. And I bet whoever's listening right now has felt the same way. I definitely agree with you, Mickey. I know that many of my friends and acquaintances have felt alone and isolated. I certainly have. Years back, before I started putting myself out there, I did things that hurt me and others. My lethargy knew no bounds when I didn't feel like I had anyone. 
and glad that my life turned around and that I get to know so many wonderful people. And I hope that anyone like Holden can turn uh, their lives around like I did. Amen, sister. Amen. A woman. Thank you very much. Let's buckle our seatbelts, fasten our supports, cling to the wall, scream in agony, and discuss the most notorious theme of identity or change that made this book famous. Speaking of clapping your hands, how about you clap your hands in our sponsor's product? So, scrub your hands and wash underwater for 20 or more seconds, and get all those pesky intruders up your beautiful ass skin. Order now if you're not a backwards pregnant. I'll wash your feet right now to learn more about the benefits of snow. Thank you to our sponsor, Common Freaking Sense, for allowing us to reach you guys with the best that we can offer. Again, dial Wash Your Feet to get the latest information about the benefits of soap. To be or not to be? That is the question. That is indeed a question. Holden tussles with the muscle of world confusion as he tries to find himself in the things that he does, the people he interacts with, and with thoughts he obsesses over. He naturally avoids change without thought, while also looking for it. Boyhold is running circles around himself as he meets with the many interesting characters of New York. He doesn't belong anywhere, and he belongs everywhere. Holden's identity isn't just affected by the fact that he doesn't belong. His identity is the fact that he doesn't belong. As just stated by my homie, alienation and identity play complementary roles. Some of these identity adds to or subtracts from how alienated they are, and a person's identity is heavily influenced by how alienated they are. Holden has a chronic condition. That condition is him updating his identity while also being alienated. This leads to him being more and more isolated as he changes into someone that can barely be understood by most of the other characters in the novel. His angst increases during this process, and it is not a pretty thing to witness. He has also been forced to come to an understanding about his relationship with change. First year of the novel, you can see Holden talk in concrete terms about how his life and tendencies have not really changed. He even states that he likes change. He likes when things don't change. This comes right after a section where he almost decides to become a deaf mute that worked at a gas station and lives in a hut at the edge of the woods in the Midwest United States. My dream. Ah, mine too. In reality, he accepts that he doesn't like change. Kind of confusing, but we did say that he was a contradiction. Here's Slimon with a nice, short passage from the ending pages of the book. That's one nice thing about carousels. They always play the same song. Salinger, 272. That statement is pretty self-evident. Another thing that you probably noticed about that statement is just how beautiful it is. Salinger's work doesn't go unnoticed during any stage of that reading. It really doesn't. I'm that short cat to here. Anyways, the carousel symbolizes innocence. The music that it plays is pure and brings joy in those riding it. The part that strikes out Holden, though, is how it always stays the same. He finds value in things that can withstand the effects of time and change. They're uncorrupted, yes. Indeed. He wants to have everything the way that it was and not what it is. His younger brother is still alive. He goes to bars and dr drinks even though he's underage, and he calls up any old flames in the area to chat with. He also smokes more than no fireplace. That is the world he wants, one that doesn't change. His emotions are, aren't always present in his mind in the text, but it is really obvious that he constantly feels them, even if he tries not to show it. 
In some ways, I can understand them. I am occasionally very resistant to change. For the most part, I don't even want to think about who I'm going to be in the next couple of months, yet alone for the next couple of years. I want an eternity to think about it so that I can avoid making that choice and just be everything, you know? It's universal. It's a universal feeling, bro. Thanks, bro. How do you relate to Holden in this aspect? Well, there's a lot of ways one can relate to Holden. My sister, for example, just graduated from high school. It's really weird to think about it. I don't really know what life's going to be like without her. That's the thing about change. It's bound to happen eventually. Mm-hmm. Stick around to hear our last words on this book. It can glue or tape if you can't hold on. Loss, alienation, and identity are all fundamental comp- uh, components of what makes a person, well, a person. All of these are interconnected at their base values. Open belonging. Ellinger delves in these topics and their true roles in a person's perception of the world like no other author has done before. Or after. Some people will spend many years in a limbo between depression and acceptance of a loved one's death. It might not even be an end to it for some people. Sometimes, people live with the hope of never ever forgiving themselves for a lost one and will continue with the easier option of forgetting. They will try to forget and get to the cusp of total deletion, but will ultimately and actively remember with a faint hope that they can cope. They feel that forgetting is tantamount to an everlasting insult to the one that they lost. Sometimes they win and sometimes they lose, and in the moments that they lose, they come to find that the only alternative is to wait for death to liberate them from their denial, anger, and depression that they feel every waking hour. Anyways, being alone is not through topic and literature. What the experiences show up, what it's like to be known every click and group so well, yet to also know if you'll never be a part of them. This painted view of the world on its phoniness or emptiness makes him the most agonistic protagonist that you will ever read about. Finally, identity is a topic that we all knew was inside the book before we even opened it. It is the main appeal of the book, after all. No one is safe from the process of figuring out their identity. Yes, and it is usually filled with pain, up and downs, and missteps. Old isn't safe from change, and we aren't either. Humanity's relationship with change is also explored in an honest way that allows us to have an unbiased view of how we should approach it. Salinger writing it out in a story had me wondering if I should view change as black and white. I don't really want everything to be new or to have it all stay the same. I can incorporate things gradually and always keep things I cherish at heart. Just like Holden with Phoebe. If something suddenly happens, it'll be okay. No need to freak out like Holden did. I believe we should state our verdict. Yeah, let's go for it. I personally would give this a 9 out of 10. Its unique styles and subtle techniques are under quality management for all 277 pages and are really what keep my attention. And I'm definitely going in for a reread in the near future. I would give this a 7.5 out of 10. I found that in reading it. The ending really brought it together for me. But I did find the actual reading to be difficult to get excited about. However, Holden's relatable character really made me want to read more. The Catcher in the Rye by J.T. Salinger is an inspiring and heartfelt novel. You can purchase it on Barnes & Noble's website for $15.49 or order it from Walmart for a lower price of $5.99. We here at Stone Raccoon strongly urge that you read this book over the summer. Mickey, meet us out, will you? Slaymon, signing off. Once again, great thanks to our sponsor for providing their products to protect all of us. 
simplify wash your hands, feet, forehead, back, nose, eyes, inside the mouth, and check that bad one in your arteries to cure COVID-19. Also, if you would like to sponsor us, please go to our website, www.stonedraccoons.com. Mickey, signing off.